0: Jerry Michael Williams was born on October 16, 1969. He went by the name Michael. He was raised in the town of Bradfordville, which is north of Tallahassee, Florida. Michael was a good student. He was active in a number of extracurricular activities. When he was in high school, he met another student named Denise Merrill, and they became romantically involved. Michael graduated from high school and attended Florida State University. Prior to graduating, he took a job as a property appraiser. Within a few years, he was earning $200,000 a year. On December 16, 1994, Michael married Denise. They bought a home in an upscale area of Tallahassee. They had a daughter in 1999. Denise had a childhood friend named Brian Winchester, who sold insurance. Brian was married to a woman named Kathy. All four individuals became friends. Michael, Denise, Brian, and Kathy. Michael and Denise bought a one million dollar life insurance policy for Michael from Brian, which was curious because Michael already had several hundred thousand dollars worth of life insurance policies. Prior to this, in 1997, Denise Williams and Brian Winchester started having an affair. Divorce was not something Denise wanted to do. She maintained religious values which were inconsistent with divorce. Also, she did not want to split custody of their daughter. So she continued to see Brian, but the couple really didn't have any plan for Denise separating from Michael. This created a challenging situation for Brian and Denise. They were constantly frustrated because they desperately wanted to be married. They came up with this idea to murder Michael Williams. After considering a few ideas, they decided to stage a drowning to make it look like Michael died in an accident. They were inspired by an incident that occurred when Michael and Brian were on one of their regular hunting trips to Arkansas. Michael was walking along when the ground gave out beneath him, almost like quicksand. Brian assisted him, and Michael survived. If Brian had not helped him, Michael would have died and may have never been found. Brian and Denise started to wonder if an incident like this could not be recreated, except with a fatal ending. Now moving to the timeline of the crime. On December 16, 2000, which was the Williams's sixth wedding anniversary, Michael and Brian went duck hunting at Lake Seminole. This lake sits in the southwest corner of Georgia along its border with Florida. Michael typically avoided putting his waders on until he reached the shore, fearful that if he fell off the boat, the waders would facilitate his drowning, like they would fill with water and drag him down. But somehow, Brian convinced him to put the waders on when they were still in the boat. At this point, Brian pushed Michael into the water, hoping that Michael's fear about the waiters and drowning would be realized. Michael did not drown. He removed his jacket and the waiters and grabbed a tree stump that rose just above the surface of the water. Brian retrieved a shotgun and shot Michael once in the head, killing him. It was clear to Brian that the accidental drowning idea was no longer going to be A possibility. He removed Michael's body and placed it in his Chevrolet Suburban. He drove all the way back to his residence and eventually buried the body in the mud at Carr Lake. Denise called her father at around noon that day and told him that Michael was missing. He never returned from duck hunting. Michael's 1994 Ford Bronco was found near a muddy boat launch in Jackson County. The authorities found this to be unusual because there were much better concrete boat launches not far from there, which Michael had used on prior occasions. Why did he select an inferior boat launch? After a delay due to a storm, Michael's boat was found about 225 feet away from the ramp. This was curious because the storm had westerly winds, so the boat should have been blown over to the Georgia side of the lake. In addition, the engine was off and the fuel tank was full. If Michael had fallen out of the boat, the engine would have stayed on and exhausted the fuel. Despite this, the authorities believe that Michael had accidentally run his boat into a stump and fallen out. He drowned after his waders filled with water. They assumed that they would find his body pretty easily. They had a pretty good track record of finding bodies at the lake. There were about 80 known individuals who died there. All their bodies had been recovered. The authorities assumed it was just a matter of time. After months went by without any signs of his body, investigators were confused. Where did his body go? Sometime later, they came up with this theory that Michael's body had been eaten by an alligator. It wasn't a likely explanation, but they believed it was possible. And, having ruled out foul play, it was really the only explanation that had even a chance of making sense. In June of 2001, a person fishing in the area discovered Michael's waders. Divers were called in and found his hunting jacket and flashlight. His hunting license was in one of the jacket pockets. None of the items were damaged. No teeth marks, nothing like that. They also didn't look like they had been in the water for as long as Michael was missing. For example, the flashlight was still functional. Michael was declared legally dead a short time later. Denise Williams collected about $1.75 million in life insurance. She married Brian Winchester in 2005, and they moved into the same house where she had lived with Michael Williams. The year before they were married, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement opened an investigation into Michael's disappearance. In addition to the inconsistencies I mentioned before, like the waiters not being damaged and the boat being full fuel, investigators learned that Michael rarely went hunting alone. They also realized that the alligator theory was very unlikely. Michael went missing in December, and alligators do not normally feed during winter months. Even if this was some type of rogue alligator that defied the rules of cold-weather alligator consumption behavior, some of Michael's body would have been left behind. The case was closed in 2006, because investigators did not have enough evidence to solve it. They knew something was wrong, but they couldn't figure out what actually happened. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. 24 hours ago, I found out the person that I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months. As a con man. That is my sister Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing. She'd invested $300,000 with him. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. In 2010, Michael's disappearance was reclassified as a suspicious death and the investigation resumed with Brian and Denise as the primary suspects but the police still didn't have enough evidence to make an arrest it appears as though Brian and Denise had escaped the consequences of their actions but there was trouble in paradise the couple separated in 2012 and Denise filed for divorce 3 years later on August 5, 2016 at 2:30 a.m. Brian hid in the back of Denise's SUV and waited for her to drive to work. After she left for work, he climbed over the back seat, threatened her with a firearm, and started giving her directions, like he wanted her to drive down specific roads. Denise did not listen. Instead, she pulled into the parking lot of a drugstore, and the two had a conversation. Brian said he didn't want to kill her or get a divorce. Denise attempted to placate him, implying that they could work things out, She drove him to a nearby park where he had left his truck. As he exited her vehicle, he grabbed a bottle of bleach, two plastic sheets, and a tool that Denise could not identify. Perhaps it was some type of saw. This strikes me as a really awkward moment. Brian kidnaps Denise. They make this deal to stay together, which of course he should have known she would not honor. Then, as he's getting out of the SUV, He's like, I just need to grab my plastic tarps and bleach. I don't even know why I brought these. These are definitely not items I was going to use to commit a murder. I can picture Brian sheepishly reaching into the SUV and saying, well, I guess we don't need these things now. I'll just get these out of here. After exiting the SUV, Brian apologized for the whole kidnapping thing, and Denise promised she would not tell the police. After he left, she drove to the police station and told the police. Brian was arrested for armed burglary, kidnapping, and domestic assault. He was held without bond. He was eventually convicted as part of a plea deal and, in December of 2017, sentenced to 20 years in prison. Brian had made a deal to testify against Denise regarding the murder of Michael Williams. He was given immunity for that crime. He revealed the location of Michael's body, and the police recovered it. Denise was arrested on May 8, 2018, and charged with a number of offenses, including first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. Brian testified against her, saying they had entered into a conspiracy. He said he kidnapped her because he was afraid that after they divorced, she would reveal the details of the murder. Denise was convicted of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. For the murder charge, she was sentenced to life in prison for the conspiracy 30 years on appeal, the murder charge was overturned because there was no evidence that Denise actively participated in the crime. The life sentence was gone. Denise only has to worry about the 30 years. Now moving to my analysis. There seems to be little question that Brian Winchester was guilty of killing Michael Williams, but what about Denise Williams? Was she actually guilty of conspiracy? Let's take a look at the factors both for and against the idea that she was guilty starting with the inculpatory evidence. Denise was having an affair with the man who murdered her husband. They had been romantically involved since high school, and that relationship never really ended. About five years after the murder, Brian and Denise married. Brian testified that he and Denise conspired to commit murder. Denise benefited financially from life insurance. Brian's first wife, Kathy, worked with the police to secretly record a conversation With Denise. Kathy pretended to know something about the murder. Denise was evasive when the topic of murder came up. I don't think this recording was actually that inculpatory, but I did find it interesting that Denise resisted the idea that Brian was the killer. Considering he had just kidnapped her, why was it such a stretch to think he was a murderer? This really does make it seem like she knew that he committed the murder, but that alone doesn't establish a conspiracy. She may have found out after he killed Michael. Now moving to the exculpatory evidence. There are no witnesses or video connecting Denise to the murder. There is no physical evidence. Brian did not require Denise's help to carry out the murder. If Brian and Denise were really in on the crime together, why was Brian so worried that Denise would reveal what they did after the divorce? That would mean that she would go to prison as well. Brian kidnapped Denise, and it seems pretty clear he intended to kill her based on the items he took with him, like the plastic tarps and the bleach. Brian was highly motivated to testify that Denise was involved. He wanted revenge and was offered immunity. When considering all the evidence, do I think that Denise Williams was guilty? I believe she was guilty of conspiracy in reality, but not guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Without the testimony of a confessed murder, she never would have been convicted. Brian simply had too much incentive to lie. There are a few other interesting items in this case I wanted to point out. Item number one, this is another case where the police wasted time and resources using psychics. It never ceases to amaze me that the police would give in to this magical thinking. This wasted their time, and the psychics did not reveal any useful information as always. Item number two, when Brian and Denise were developing the murder plan, Denise was specifically attracted to the drowning idea because she felt as though it gave Michael a chance. She thought this way the decision was left up to God, like God would save Michael if he was supposed to live. So Denise's actions were giving God an opportunity to use his power, like she was kind of giving God permission to act. After Brian pushed Michael off of the boat, Michael was able to stay above the water, so Brian shot him. So I guess that whole idea about leaving an opportunity for him to be saved was out the window. The plan about giving Michael a chance to survive did not survive itself. Item number three, after the murder, Brian and Denise grew paranoid. They came up with a secret signal to indicate when they needed to talk about Michael they would pat each other down for wires before talking. They thought investigators had tapped their cell phones. Brian's paranoia eventually led him to getting caught, at least according to his statements. Which brings me to my final thoughts. This case played out like Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart. It never occurred to Brian and Denise that if they committed this murder and married each other, they would be married to the type of person who commits murder and they would never be free of worry they would always have to be concerned about the effects of the telltale heart this has been true crime psychology and personality from ars longa media this content is for educational and entertainment purposes only ars longa vita brevis